0: In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer
1: and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson.
0: And welcome to the People Catalyst podcast, Alan Fadden.
1: Hello, Carla. We got a good one today.
0: (laughs) This is really fun.
1: This is going to make you rethink your rethinking.
0: (laughs) That's good. That's a good point because this is what we're going to be talking about today is how people leave their bosses, not their companies. And this has been a huge issue for a long time. And everybody knows it's uh, a problem. It's not like it's new news, except for it's interesting. There's no real fix to the problem that's ever. We just dump more money into training. And then- yes,
1: so we do. And we oh. waste it, don't we?
0: Yeah, it's really um, actually quite uh, staggering how much money we waste on training um, and how much it costs, how much we've invested for how long and the absolute dismal ROI that uh, pops out on the other side. And- you know, this is so critical. There's both tangible and intangible challenges with this. And to the business, uh, you know, the number one and number two cost uh, to any business are turnover and a bad hire. So obviously, and that was Forbes. I'm, I was just re- re- recently reading that the cost is 33% of whatever the individual salary is. that just came out in 2019. And so for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to be talking about turnover because a bad hire is a whole other conversation, but turnover is a
1: big. However, uh, it's really interesting because when you look at those numbers and let's go back to the title, 50% of the people left their job because of the boss. So people leave bosses, not companies, by the way, that's a Gallup study from uh, a few months ago. So, uh, uh, and the intangible cost, too, is, uh, I think, an important part because, uh, you know, not only do you, uh, do you does it cost you money to uh, make a bad hire to replace a person, but think what it does. The whole process of leading up to firing the person brings fear into the company. Performance goes down, not only that person, but other people. And then, of course, the whole energy and momentum of the, com- of the company, uh, the division or whatever is trashed. And uh, so it just, the damage goes on and on and on. Those intangibles are hard to measure, but they usually account for a lot more than the tangibles that you can measure.
0: No doubt about that. And that's definitely has to be why then 70% of people hate their jobs. I mean, there's a direct correlation, right? With, and that's Gallup. We quote that all the time because they've been doing this darn study for like 30 years and the numbers are almost staggering across the board. I think it reduced a little bit this past year. And they uh, identified the reason why was because unemployment was so low, not because the percentage of people truly shifted their thinking about hating their jobs and what they do every day, but just simply happy that they had a job. Um, And and the sad thing about this, Alan, is what this does to people's, another intangible, right? Their health, their relationships, their finances, every other thing, we spend more time at our places of work, regardless if, and it's, I'm going to venture to say even more if you're the business owner or the CEO or in some upper levels, you know, you're even spending more than the typical eight hours a day minimum that most people spend, you know, doing whatever it is that they do. And the challenge or the sad part about this is, with this turnover, and all these people hating their jobs, that's um, specific to turnover, the Society of Human Resource Management, I believe that's what Schrums um yes. stands for. <laughs> I can never remember <laughs> the acronyms after you've been using it for so long. And 70% of the cause of this turnover is, you know, preventable. There are ways to, and that's just the turnover. Today, we're going to talk about a process by which you can prevent it absolutely in regards to um, your company. But 70% of these intangible um, issues that are popping up and reasons people leave their job and costing 33% just of their tangible costs, right? Alan just identified a ton of intangibles that you could probably argue cost even more than the tangible. Um, that it can be prevented. This is an epidemic that's preventable. I mean, why wouldn't you prevent it? Yep. And I know you mentioned the 50% of uh, people um, left the job because of their boss and uh, that Gallup just recently did that study and we call it all these different words and the one that really bugs me is leadership. But you know, we've got change management, we've got culture, we've got all these different things. But after 50 years of not moving the needle, it's just insane that it's, you know, the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And really the, the, the crux of this is that everyone is a leader. So we use the word leadership, but everyone's a leader. We're just leaders at different times. And when the object of the exercise is to get something done, you have to let people lead and do the work that they are great at so that they are seen in that leadership role throughout the entire company, not just teaching them and standing up at the front of a room, oh, here's a, here's a leadership strategy of listening, you have to be a better listener, right? I mean, I could go on and on on that one.
1: Yes, and I think it's a really important part because it's like a lot of bosses and leaders Don't understand it, but they are unknowingly harming themselves and the people who report to them by not knowing a big piece of this. And that's what we're really here to do. And maybe one of the best ways to do it is just to say, hey, if we don't change the fundamental way work is done, putting people in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, then we're doomed to just repeating this whole behavior. And Probably the best uh, metaphor we have for this is, uh, uh, imagine work today is like a three-legged race. You're trapped with the other person and so you're trying to get something done and as you're running the race they're slowing you down by questioning what you're doing, by doing something that they uh, promised to do but doing, winding up doing a different thing or being late. And the people just don't fit together very well. But if you were to take that three legged race or that sack race, that's so difficult to do and where people triple over each other and change that into the fastest kind of race there is, which is a relay race where everybody sprints a much shorter time and then hands off to the right person. When you do that, we've been doing this for 25 years, things change dramatically. So if you, if you have a uh, boss who just went to leadership training, I mean, basically I'm just saying, you know, don't be a jerk, be nice or whatever the latest fad is. If we don't change the way we work together, the well-meaning leader is still going to be hypothetically a jerk because they give people the wrong work, they get them doing something they hate, they get them sitting through long meetings where nothing gets done. In other words, the system is broken. The people aren't.
0: There you go. Yeah, and and there you go. Deming, right? 94% of failure is, our Demings, I always say Deming, Demings, yeah. Edward Demings, Edwards yep. Deming, actually. Um, 94% yes. of failure is process failure, which process is a system, not people failure. Yet the first thing we do is blame people when things go wrong. And at the end of the day, if you don't have, a system to figure out what you're going to do, ideation, that's what we're going to talk about today, and we will do a part two, which is implementation and how to use this system and process uh, in the next podcast because it often gets confused. There are two parts of the system, which is what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? So ideation, implementation, and the answer is in both to run sequentially, even though they look slightly different same players moving in a, a little bit different process. So, you know, I think about this, Alan, and, and it's like, gosh, you know, even using the system, work is difficult enough and we complicate yeah. it. it's like crazy. I mean, it reminds me of anyone who's ever driven in India. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. There's no traffic signals and everybody's just pushing, you know, each other through when you were talking about the three-legged race. Um, how hilarious is it to watch? You sit on the sidelines and you're laughing, yet that's exactly <laughs> what we do in business every single day. Um, so if you don't have a system and a process for making decisions, ideation, and implementing them, implementation, the challenge is you never overcome that, uh, what Edward Stemming says, 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. And what is that s- The study that uh, how many percentage of CEOs it was so high that get fired because they can't get things done? Because again, well,
1: they, they estimated at the time that was Ram Charan, uh, estimated at the time is about 90% of CEOs get fired for not being able to implement something new in their own company.
0: <laughs> and then 90% of businesses fail for the same exact reason, right? Absolutely. Uh, and look at the correlation of those numbers, right, bet- between what Deming said the CEO is being fired and businesses fail. They're all right pending there at 90 to 94%. And I would even venture to say that Deming at the 94%, you always have the lucky one that's in the right place just because of timing or whatnot. So,
1: Well, uh, I like to, uh, Simon Sinek said, you know, you can stumble over 10% of the market. Well, it's the same way you can stumble over doing, 10% 10% of the work correctly or having it th- the right person. You just give somebody a whole task and probably uh, 25% of it is going to be something they love to do when they're good at. And then they do it so fast, it's about t- only takes up 10% of their time because they do it way faster than everything else. So there's your 10%. You spend 10% of your time doing good work and 90% of your time struggling through uh, jello.
0: <laughs> That's so true. Yes. And so we know that work is broken. We're looking at, you know, we work with a 19th century work strategy system. In process. the 21st century. <laughs> exactly. You know, I was having a conversation uh, with my bonus dad yesterday about education. And you look at in the last 100 years, look at how our phone has changed. Look at how our TVs, they didn't exist. Look at how cars have changed. And we are talking about how education hasn't changed, but even though training would, you know, training and education are two, you know, two sides of the same coin, but it's a very thin coin. Um, Kevin, one of our uh, leaders, always says, do you want to have, as parents, do you want to have your kids to have, you know, sex education or sex training, right? There's the difference. It's a really good Uh. way to look at it. And so but education and training are really close. But if all of those technologies changed systems, processes, right, because they're all interlinked, have changed in the last 100 years, but the way we do work hasn't changed at all, how is that possible?
1: That's right. And it's all about, if you want to remember anything from this podcast, take a look at fit and sequence. How do your people fit together end to end so that when I finish a job or a task, then I know who to go to for the next step? And about 75% of the time left on our own, we go to the wrong person and we have bad results and it trashes our work. So the part of that is know how people fit together and put them in the right sequence. That is the missing piece.
0: Yes. And we have previous podcasts also about personality and behavioral training too, which again, great stuff. I mean, you know, we work with some of the largest resellers of disc in the nation and you can add both. And however, the object of the exercise is not to sing Kumbaya. It's not the potluck on Friday, nor the air hockey table in the, you know, break room and what we do. And and I like what you said there, Alan, how we go, we go to the wrong people and we break it down as if we have to like each other in order to get something done. Right. Yeah.
1: The problem is the minute they reject your work, you don't like them anymore, no matter how much air hockey you play together.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and hanging out on uh, the weekends is a lot different than being on a team that's running through and trying to get something accomplished. And so the relay race and fit fitness sequence, I love that. If you're going to walk away from this podcast with two two things is always think about a relay race and how fit in sequence with your people so let's break this down alan um in ideation again part two we'll talk about implementation because these often get confused so we're separating in a two-part series for the podcast and with ideation what you and let's talk about the process alan let's back it up because you can do ideation um, without doing the brain dump sometimes, right? So let's start. What I mean by that is we're going to walk through, I'll let you do the big picture process and then we'll break it down uh, with the pitfalls that you can have with the shaker, the mover and the prover as you're running the ideation process. So walk us through the process.
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, it's the shakers who are the idea people and what you want to do. i mean, every every job starts with either there's something you know a goal you want to accomplish or there's a problem you want to solve. So uh, everybody generates ideas, but oftentimes the most the most novel ideas will come from the shakers. So sh- let's say you get a whole big list of ideas, and you've done that a million times, and everybody has. but it's what you do with the ideas that makes the huge departure. And makes it, it makes all the difference. So instead of uh, getting rid of every idea that uh, has something wrong with it, well, the problem is every idea is born drowning. Instead, what you do is you keep all the ideas, and it's the mover's core nature to pick the best idea and set priorities and design a launch plan. So the mover takes the all the ideas, picks one makes a quick plan for it and immediately goes to the prover who is either in the first meeting or is not allowed to talk brainstorming rules but what you do is go to the prover and you say poke every hole you can in this idea rip it to shreds tell me everything that can go wrong and instead of killing the idea you collect the what can go wrong and then bring it back to the shakers so you keep the shakers and the provers apart because they tend to argue with each other and they don't fit together but they do fit together when they have a mover in between them so the movers like the point point guard uh, on the basketball team that brings the ball down and designs the play so um, once the provers say what can go wrong then uh, the shakers get a chance to come up with ideas to solve the problem and so uh, between those two it's about 3 times faster and uh, everybody gets to imprint the idea without without blowing up the other person's results it's all forwarding it's a way that you could take all these steps and never move backwards
0: Yes, and then of course the shaker being able to overcome those obstacles and running the process and running this process until the process does not end until the prover says I can live with that. Like we, I can spent, live with that. Yep. I can live with that. And then because remember the shaker, and then we call uh, this is another buzz term that I can't stand employee engagement. Uh, although it is a challenge in a process that, or um, a situation, it can be fixed just by this process. Okay. And the reason why is because the shaker says no to an idea if it's not their idea. So they get, quote unquote, disengaged if they can't imprint the idea. The mover gets disengaged because things aren't moving forward. And we were in this meeting last week. I wasn't in charge and we didn't facilitate anything of an outcome. So I got other things I want to work on. that's how they get disengaged the prover gets disengaged because they're sitting there rolling their eyes thinking about all the stuff these yahoos aren't thinking about and is often not allowed to even poke the holes in the ideas at all because they're seen as negative naysayers debbie downers and so they get disengaged because they're just sitting back thinking gosh these yahoos aren't going to get this done anyway um and so this is how you engage everyone at the right time, and I, I, and I think we could break this down to, let's go through the input and output uh, piece of this, and then we'll go- move on to the pitfalls, if you wanna take that, Alan.
1: Yeah, good idea. So uh, you, you start, let's say you start a project uh, with either something you wanna accomplish, or something that's a problem and needs fixing. Well, that's perfect. That's reality. That's the way things really are. And that's the perfect input for the shaker. The shaker wants to know exactly what's going on, exactly where we want to go, get the get the details so they can take that reality and generate ideas to change the reality. It's the shaker's nature to want to change what is what is the uh status quo yes yeah, shakers want to
0: break the rules
1: <laughs> break the rules break the mold do something that's never been done before so a shaker will come up with a great idea fall in love with it but what really won't know one idea from another they can have six ideas you know i don't care which one we do as long as it's mine so uh the mover then uh, so the shaker's output is is uh ideas and that matches the mover's input, which is ideas. So it's like an outbox and an inbox. You line them up. Shaker, ideas, output. Mover, ideas, input. The Mover takes all the ideas and, and decides which one is best, what the biggest priority ought to be, and then makes up a p- plan for it. And that's the mover's output is the plan. Now the plan, the output of the mover, happens to be the plan, the input of the prover so again fit in sequence they're all lined up perfectly you have the mover deal with the prover the other reason you have them deal with it is because they're not going to fight they uh, they sort of have a professional respect for each other and uh, create value for each other so the output of the mover is the plan the input of the prover is the plan because the prover is dying to make new rules which is uh to (laughs) to critique the idea to tell you what's going to go wrong to warn you and so the prover takes that input the plan and their output is reality it won't work because of this and this and this and this and so that output of reality then is the input of the shaker Mm -hmm. but you do not want the prover to deliver it directly to the shaker because those are what we call red light relationships. No shaker wants to hear from a prover what's wrong with your idea. So the mover then takes that reality and delivers it to the shaker. The mover says, uh, "Loved your idea. Only three things we've obstacles we've got to overcome." So instead of saying it's a bad idea or we're going to kill the idea, which is usually the The message that the shaker gets, no matter how nice the prover tries to be. uh, Instead, the mover says, here's a challenge for you. Overcome these three obstacles and we got to go. So the shaker comes up with what? They take that reality and come up with ideas once again, deliver the ideas of how to overcome the problem to the mover. mover makes a new plan accommodating the best ideas and turns that into a plan and gives it back to the prover, because that's their input. says, now, can you live with this? Or is there anything else we haven't thought of that can go wrong? Or is there anything that, uh, any trade-offs in the new ideas, things that can go wrong with the new ideas we haven't considered, or can you live with it? So that's the output from the prover. And it usually takes one round of this where the, the prover says, oh no, that looks pretty good. I uh, never would have thought of fixing it that way. So in other words, the provers are good at saying what can go wrong, but they're not very good at fixing it. Because mm-hmm. they'll go, go to an overdone idea to try to fix it. And oftentimes, it's something hasn't worked before. So this is a way to put everybody in their strength. And everybody uh, in a fit and sequence that goes three to eight times faster with better results. And just to give you an idea of that, uh, Uh, one of the companies we worked with was a giant telecommunications company. They had a group of salespeople and uh, they started using fit and sequence and not only in their sales group, but with their customers as well, putting the right people in the right place. And in two years, they went from 20 million to 60 million that fast. Mm -hmm. While, by the way, while the rest of the company was flat, had no growth at all. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so remember, shakers, they want to break the rules, movers interpret those rules, and provers want to make the rules. And this is an ideation. So, you know, you could obviously utilize the assessment. You can find it on our website um, to be able to identify as somebody's uh, mover, shaker, or prover. Now, we have not brought up the maker guys. And the reason why is because they don't want to be in this meeting.
1: <laughs> they, show, <laughs> they
0: show up later. But it's the person that, you know, for, years can come to the same weekly meeting and never have a, a unique thought. That's what we usually look at them for. And they, it's like you ask them who even wants to be in this room? Um, they're the ones that say, no, I, I've got to go back to my work uh, or my desk. I got real work to do. You guys <laughs> missed this place up, yeah. huh. this place up um, two months ago and I just got done fixing it, okay? So there's no reason to have them in this meeting. Now to have them learn the training, that's one thing. We usually do keep them in the room, but as soon as we start getting to actually running the process, we just let them go back to their desk because it doesn't make any sense to waste whatever they're being paid for them to be in a room that they don't want to be in, right? And so The pitfalls of this, let's talk about a little bit before we wrap this up, Alan, which is, and you mentioned one, which is stay in your own lanes, okay? Oftentimes, you have to separate the, you have to always separate the shaker and the prover, but sometimes they can't even be in the same room, Um, and the reason why is because when the shaker is making or creating the ideas, they might not open up because they're too you know, worried about somebody saying what's wrong with it. And by the way, and with staying your own lanes, this can happen like live. If you are not facilitating it, it just can go all like instantly back to, you know, um, People talking over, they can't help it, they blurt it out. They, it happens every single time, even when you're playing games. So the mover yeah. has to make sure they know the process or whoever's facilitating it, because you can facilitate it. It's just the mover's the most ideal person because they don't have a dog in the fight. They love to balance uh, fit and sequence and balance the team. And they love the system because now they're fully engaged. They're actually moving this process forward and getting something done. So stay in your own lanes, separate if necessary. And one of the unique core natures of work is when you have a secondary and primary or a 50-50 of a shaker-prover. They'll do it right live. I mean, they'd have to know where they're being cast because if they are in the lane of coming up with ideas, they'll shoot their own idea down, like live when you're just coming up with ideas. They kind of right, like,
1: It's like Mr. Subliminal on Saturday night. <laughs> or the, uh, hey, what a great idea. No, it's not. Wonderful idea. Sucks. You know, you're
0: yeah, and completely,
1: mentally shutting your own ideas down.
0: Yeah, and they'll do it on both sides, right? So if you're coming up with ideas, right, and they go, oh, this is an idea, but that's not going to work, you, the mover, you have to make sure you're facilitating that and say, hey, that's great. And what you do is write it down. You can give that to the mover so when you know the provers have something going on that they can, you can, the mover's the one who is the movement between separating those lanes um, so that you're focused and you're using the process instead of going back to the old way of doing meetings, which is idea, bang, idea, bang, idea, bang. Everybody's tired. They've been in there forever. Nothing's going to get done anyway. So let's just get out of here.
1: I think it's really important too, just to, just to stress that once more is that not only should it be the mover. And you talked about them taking action and the action, as you said, should be as immediate as possible because things deteriorate so fast. Even if it's the CEO, uh, learned the hard way, had a CEO who was a shaker in a meeting and they kept derailing the meeting. And, uh, if a mover would have been running the meeting, which is not me, I'm a shaker. The mover would have said, that's fine, but we have a commitment to stay with the process, not in the process, so write that down, table it, and let's keep moving with the process.
0: Yeah, this has happened pretty much every meeting for 25 years, every training, and it ha- and it got derailed so many times. We came up with the uh, 10 agreements, and we review them in every yep. single training because we have to r- remind the team that there is a system and a process they have committed to and it gives us the ability to then facilitate that and I would venture to say it's gotten better uh, in the aspect of, hey, don't even let the CEO derail it because the old way of doing business was I'm the CEO and I said so, so I don't even care if I'm paying you to be here to fix our problems, I'm still going to derail the training, the meeting, you whatever. So we actually one of our agreements is, you know, don't don't allow anyone to derail the system in the process, not even the CEO. And we review that in in our certified trainers that because it's critical. I think that's a really good point, Alan. And the other aspect that I think is unique and different is in this change in the way we do work or at least the mentality of realizing and the millennials are really driving this. Right. The numbers are just dismal. You know, they you hire them they're engaged for two months, then they become disengaged and spend 16 months looking for another job. And they just turn them and burn them. And with the low employment rate, it's getting even worse and a much larger cost over time, because then you have a, you know, employee that, yeah, you need somebody to sit there to do something, but you know, they're spending 16 months out of 18 months looking for another job. And so, and the other point about this, Alan, and I'll let you chime in here before we wrap up about HR you know we have for years and are told this probably weekly, wow, you guys should really focus on you know HR and the HR leaders and HR by default has been focused on reactive they're, they're later adopters right it's about not getting sued uh, typically and and now I think that's shifting the mindset at least that we need to invest in our people. Partially because this really low unemployment rate, but then the millennials are saying, I don't want to work that way. I'm sorry. And I'd rather just (laughs) travel the world and I'll, I'll live on $20,000, $30,000 a year doing some online something right. Versus this kind of corporate America um, history we've had for quite some time. So so, true. and, And it's very rare that HR brings this in when, when they do, Oh my gosh. So there's a video, uh, we'll put a link to it in this. It was at disrupt HR. It's a five minute video, but disrupt HR is all about, well, hello, disrupting HR. And we did a little bit of a, uh, training on it, even though the training or the, 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 I'll never forget doing this uh, video because you had to do, what was it? Five minutes, 15 seconds a slide. And they move forward like exactly
1: I've never, <laughs> I've your <never> slide <laughs> changed exactly exactly the same time every second which was the most absurd thing yeah, they don't so give you your clicker people, <laughs> a bunch of people cheated it by putting the same slide in so it changed every 15 seconds the same slide the they same could just slide.
0: give their five minute talk i know i did yeah. not we did, were not the ones that cheated alan and i worked no, uh, right. pretty hard on that one but it's it was funny it was like HR is a late adopter, So let's disrupt HR, but let's create a process because you will not. Approver had to have created that process because they want to make the rules. Where you're not going to go over five minutes. Right. <laughs> it's hard enough so, to have anything in five minutes, let alone. Be pressed that quickly to know each slide, and you don't want to memorize it too. So we'll put it in um, the link to this podcast, so you can you guys can check that out too. And lastly, I just want to wrap up with uh, Alan and I. We're talking to Harvard Business Review, everybody knows HBR. They just did. We were just reading about how much money is being pumped into training. It's something like four hundred billion dollars, and that's globally. In the U.S., it's a huge chunk of that, probably. I would say 300 billion or so of the total that is uh, pumped into training, and at this entire after this entire long uh, read, which was a great read of this big, huge problem where we're getting no ROI on our training. How to fix it? Systems and processes.
1: <laughs> That's right, and that so what that means is not getting better donuts in the training. It means doing it completely differently.
0: Yes. Instead of the way we have done it, when, and um, Alan shared with me a a saying I hadn't heard in a while um, that, you know, we've not tried a different way to fix it, but when your only tool is a hammer, everything is a nail. So that was the wrap up and make sure you join us for part two next week, where we talk about implementation because we went through the process and ideation and then we will break it down after you figure out what to do, how you're going to get it done. Thank you for listening to the people catalyst podcast. And remember it's a
1: good life.